back. Good morning. Glad you're here. Uh, I just want to just highlight those prayer times on Sunday night. We really want that to just be something that's built into the culture of our church where we become people more, you know, more of prayer. We were, Christy and I heard a, a message uh, at North Central this week where the, the pastor of a pretty, you know, pretty large, well-known church was just talking about everything changed in the history and the trajectory of their church when they prioritized those corporate prayer meetings and they just made it a regular weekly thing and maybe we'll get there where it's just a weekly prayer service and it's not something designed to just fill up the calendar and to get more things to do, but we know that this, what God wants to do in our lives and in this church is not going to happen if we are not just people anchored in prayer. And so we want to be people of prayer. So that's going to be second Sundays at, uh, what did you say, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock? I don't want to mess up what Megan just did. So <laughs> prayer is the important thing, not the time. Let's just remember that. And then also next weekend, Saturday night service, and then our Sunday service times are changing. We might add a fourth service somewhere down the road. But this, in addition to giving another opportunity for people to come to church and maybe a Saturday night works for a neighbor or a friend that you would like to invite to church, that's the goal not just, again, to fill up the schedule with more church nights, um, but also Sunday mornings, I'm thankful that we'll have a little more time in between services for times of prayer, times of getting to know people and talking. Uh, our Sunday mornings now with 15 minutes in between services, it can be a little hectic. And uh, it's, sometimes it feels like, yeah, we love you, but now you got to go. Like, get on out of here. We're, we're bringing in a whole new crowd here. Like, we're a, we're a ride at Epcot. Like, here's the next group and church, 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 and see you later. Um, Again, we, we, we're trying to just provide opportunities where we have space for, for the church to grow and for people to come to church, and I'm excited about this. And so got to pay attention next weekend, Saturday night. We still, I don't know, maybe Megan said this, we still need people to come on Sunday mornings. Don't all of y'all show up on Saturday night. Or, but no, we'd love to have you and really take this opportunity to um, those connections you have with friends and neighbors and coworkers to say, hey, what about Saturday night? Maybe you'd like to join us on Saturday night. Awesome. We are finishing up our series on Colossians, and we've been in Colossians for the last four weeks, so we're in Colossians chapter four today. Um, one other thing, uh, the next sermon series we're going to do, because we're wrapping up Colossians today, on Saturday night this week and Sunday morning, we are starting a series called The Skeptic and the Believer, and this is a series really designed just to talk about some of the main questions that people have about faith. If you have talked about the Bible or faith with people and maybe some of your friends or family members are a little more on the skeptic side, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe you've heard some of these questions like, well, is the Bible even accurate? Doesn't it like, doesn't science disprove the Bible? Or why should I believe the Bible when it talks about all these, you know, hurtful things, God wiping out armies and angels destroying, you know, nations of people? And why should we trust a loving God like that? Or if God is loving, why is there hurt and pain and death and sickness in the world? Maybe we've heard that one before. Or maybe it's the, yeah, the Bible was fine for the time, but it just does not apply to today's standard of morality and truth, what we believe is truth in the world today. So if you've heard, anyone heard any of those questions before? Yeah, a couple, maybe just Dennis. That's it. So a couple, <laughs> couple people. Um, no, so this would be an opportunity if you have some skeptical friends, and um, I'll just I'll just set the table with this. I don't got all the answers, but we're going to at least talk about it. We're going to look at what the Word of God says, just give you some insight as to what why, why we put our faith in the Word of God, why we believe that Jesus dying and rising from the dead was an actual historical thing, and this is why we put our faith in there. So that's starting this coming weekend on Saturday night. Saturday night. Yes. 
Colossians chapter 4, we are starting, uh, we're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to read verse 1 first, because it's a weird way to start the chapter. Um, this is really his, the first verse of Colossians 1 is kind of finishing up the thoughts that um, Paul was talking about in the previous chapter, in Colossians chapter 3. So if you're new to the Bible, um, you got to understand this. The Bible was not written, you know, one day, you know, Mr. Bible decided to sit down and just write the whole thing out. And, and it, it was written by many different authors over a period of, you know, a thousand years or more. And then the, it was not started with chapters and verses. So this was added in later just for our ease of reading. Like, okay, we're going to be in chapter four, the big numbers, and then the little numbers are the verses. And so this was added in later. This is a weird spot to start chapter 4 because this first verse really should be included in chapter 3, in my opinion. They didn't ask me where to put the chapters when they did all this, but that's my opinion. So it, it fits with the previous thought, and it says this, and I want to read this verse for a, for a reason, even though it's not really what the sermon's about today. Uh, Colossians 4 verse 1 says this, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And then he goes on, verse 2, to change the topic, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. I wanted to highlight this, slaves and masters. And again, this is really a closing thought from the previous chapter. What Paul was talking about in the previous chapter was um, put on the new life of Christ. Put on the new life of Christ. We see that Paul is encouraging the believers to have this faith in Jesus Christ impact your life. The old ways of sin and the flesh and the old ways of immorality, put those off. Put on the new ways of Christ, love, joy, peace, patience, righteousness, following after his um, words of truth. And then he applies it to all our relationships. And so at the end of chapter 3, he's saying, husbands and wives, apply this to your life. Put on the new ways of Christ and how you relate to one another. Um, children and parents do this in these relationships. And then he talks about slaves and masters. And that's why this uh, chapter four, verse one really fits better in chapter three. But I like that Paul does this because he's letting us know that this life in Christ, the salvation we have is not just something internal that we just be like, well, now I feel better. I feel like I'm a Christian and it's just kind of for me. It affects our relationships. So we should see this in how we parent and how we deal with our own parents. We should certainly see this in our marriages, how we relate to our spouse. And then in relationships of authority, over authority or under authority, it should affect that as well. I also want to highlight this because this is one objection to peop the why people have a problem with the Bible. This is one of the objections they have is that the Bible seems to condone slavery. Right? Have you ever heard that before? Like someone will say, I don't want to read the Bible because it talks about slavery and says it's okay. And this would be one of those times. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So this is one objection that people have. Now, I want to just highlight this because it, I believe it's a mistake to read the Bible through the lens of our 21st century culture. When we hear slavery, we think of slavery that's a hot-button issue in our culture today, and we think of the people that were forced to leave their families and put on a boat and come over here and be slaves and be beaten and mistreated. That was different in the New Testament time. When Paul is writing this, the culture was different. Slavery was prominent. Now, there was certainly the mistreatment of people and mistreatment of slaves, and the Bible always speaks against that. But in this culture... 
rather than the word slave, think of like bond servant or indentured servant or indentured worker where it would be, and some maybe your translation says that instead, where it was somebody who works for somebody as a way to get you know, housing and food. Keep in mind, in this day and age, there was no social services. So if you were down and out, you were homeless or you had no money for food, you couldn't just go to the local community center or the local government agency to provide for you. That was non-existent here. So for many people, it was, okay, I need you to loan me some money so that my family can eat and I will work for you on the land. I will become your bond servant or your indentured servant. Um, I will, you provide a place for my family to live and we will work to pay off the debt. That is kind of, it was really like a social support system back then. Now, again, slaves were mistreated. And I like that Paul is, is speaking against that. But we can't look at slavery in the Bible in the same way we look at it in the lens today. It really was more like a, a, a worker or a bond servant. So it was very common in the Roman Empire. And the Bible throughout Old Testament or New Testament, the Bible always leads the way at pushing the culture forward to treating people fairly and equally. So the Bible is never for mistreatment of people. The Bible is never for seeing some people as more valuable than others. It was always, it took the culture that existed then and it always moves the culture forward in treating people with love and kindness. This is what we see. So what Paul is teaching here is this new life in Christ puts the responsibility on all people to treat others with love. And I like that because in this culture, if you were looking at the relationships he mentioned before this in chapter 3, husbands and wives. Well, husbands in this culture had all the authority and all the rights, and the wives were mistreated. If you looked at children and parents, parents had all the authority and all the rights, and often the children were mistreated. And if you looked at slaves and masters, masters had all the rights and all the authority, and the slaves were mistreated. And so the responsibility to obey and respect and honor was put solely on the women, the children, and the servants. They were the only ones responsible for obeying and serving their person in authority. But I love that Paul says, and he comes and just turns that right upside down. I love that his teaching is this new life in Christ now puts the responsibility to honor and serve others on everybody. So parents, husbands, Masters, you are also responsible to treat others with kindness and fairness. Paul, throughout scripture, the dealing with servants was always like provide a way for them to pay off the debt, forgive the debt, provide a way for them to be free and to get back to their family the way it was before, to, to not be indentured or indebted servants like that. Paul is always pushing the culture towards everyone is responsible now. There is nobody of greater value than other people in the culture. So any objections to the Bible based on an understanding that it condones the mistreatment of other people is incorrect. The Bible is consistent throughout. Treat other people well. Treat other people with fairness. And this would have been a revolutionary step culturally and socially what Paul wrote here in this part of the world. Revolutionary that we all treat people with respect and fairness doesn't fall on the, the responsibility just doesn't fall on those who are lower down on the pecking order, but all people. So I wanted to start with that, but that's not really what we're talking about today. And you're like, great. It's already 15 minutes in and he's not even on his sermon. The Vikings are kicking off in an hour. We got to get home. We'll be good. We're good to go. So then Paul switches and he talks, uh, let's see, I lost, oh, there we go. 
in verse 2 through 6. Now, this is where I think this chapter should begin because it kind of talks about this new theme. Verse 2 through 6 says this. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 6, it says this. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul is writing this letter while he is in prison. So then when he refers to in chains, he's in prison. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I'm going to stop there for a minute. I love this passage in light of the whole letter of Colossians. Because it's like the whole, if you followed this series, if you've been here for the last three weeks and this is your fourth week, first of all, if you've been to church four weeks in a row in 21st century America, you are, you know, you win the, you win the prize, right? I, I mentioned this first service. Back in the day when it was the 90s, back in the day when we, I was growing up in church, we would have like pastoral care mechanisms in place. And often, and I was talking to a friend of mine who was also a pastor, he said, yeah, back then in the 90s, if a family missed church two weeks in a row, they would get a call. Like the pastor would call them and say, hey, we haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Everything okay? Just want to make sure you're doing good. Want to, you know. Can you imagine? For I mean, if you all missed church for two weeks and we called you every time you missed church for two weeks, you'd, your phone would be ringing off the hook. <laughs> Monday morning, here, yes, pastor, we're fine. We just haven't been there for a while. It's busy. So the, the progression, as we've talked about this for four weeks in a row, these days in age, if, if, you've, if you come to church three weeks in a row, that's like, we put you on staff. You're now a pastor. That's what happens. <laughs> but the last four weeks we've talked through, and, and I love the progression through the book of Colossians. Um, there's actually a slide I want to put up there, and it just talks about, I, I want to think of it as like a foundation, like you lay the first foundation of faith, and it was this. In chapter one, week one of this series, we talked about this. Pastor Christie did a great job. The gospel is good news. Gospel is good news. It's new life. We celebrated it with communion today. Jesus died and rose for you. New life and forgiveness of sin. That's the, that's the foundation of why we were here. And if you've never taken that step today, receive the mercy of Jesus Christ. Become a new creation. But then we build from there. And on top of that, we build then the next one, grow deep roots. Week two, we talked about that, Colossians chapter two, how we need to be deeply rooted in our faith. We need to have times where we grow roots established by times in the Bible, times in prayer. Maybe you have received the mercy of Jesus Christ and you are a Christian, but you have not yet established that daily discipline of Bible reading and prayer. That is where your roots will be strengthened in faith. That is key to anything else that you want to do for God. If you want to see God move in your life and, and have fruitful ministry or God's called you to something, it is going to be anchored on that second level there, grow deep roots. And then from there, what we talked about last week, Pastor Christie mentioned this last week. And if you did not listen to Pastor Christie's message last week, you got to listen to that. It was so good. You can do it on the app or on our website. She talked about this, Colossians 3, put off the old and put on the new. Our faith should not just be, well, we read the Bible and we pray and we kind of, that's just it. Our faith should then affect us. It should make a difference in your life. The old ways of sin, the old patterns of sin and addiction and all the things that we struggle with, 
We should begin to put those off and put on the new life in Christ, his righteousness. We lay aside the wisdom of the world and all the things that the world says, this is what you should live for. Instead, we pursue righteousness and we put on that new life in Christ. And then today, I love that it then goes, kind of the final step is what we're talking about today. Impact your world. Those verses we just read. Make every opportunity. Let your conversations with outsiders always be full of grace and seasoned with salt. It talks about this main idea is your faith not only changes you and impacts you, now your faith impacts the world around you. So if you're wondering how you grow in your faith, maybe you are just starting out. You need to establish roots by reading the Bible and praying. And then maybe you're doing that. What's the next step? The next step is for you to begin to see that affect you. I put off the old ways. I, I pursue Christ. I put on his righteousness in my life. And then the final step is, it's not just for you. Your faith should impact other people as well. And if you're wondering what the goal is as a follower of Christ, it's this, that you would go from that journey of just receiving the mercy all the way through the process to now you are making disciples. You are leading other people to the Lord. You are finding people um, at your workplace, at your school, students, if you're wondering why you're at your school other than to, to do well in school, it's to make an impact in the world around you. That we see ourselves not just recipients of mercy, but now we are conduits to other people where our faith impacts other people. This is the path of discipleship. This is what we mean when we talk about growing in faith. And if you've stopped anywhere in that progression, and we're not going to, you know, make a test here, but you're like, maybe you're like, yeah, I'm kind of between level two and three there, and, and I'm kind of stuck there. Whatever, you, wherever you're at in that, if you find yourself stopped there, take that next step. Grow in your faith. If you find yourself stopping anywhere in that progression, you've stopped growing. If your faith is immature, and it's just for you, or it doesn't change you, or it doesn't impact those around you, it's time to take another step. All of us can take another step in our faith. I love these verses from Paul. And again, he's writing this from prison. So when you think about a guy who's imprisoned because he is preaching the gospel, it just uh, puts so much context and so much more meaning to it. When you read what Paul is writing, you recognize this is a disciple who knows the reason he is on the earth. The reason he is a follower of Jesus is to impact the world around him with the love of Jesus Christ. You see that throughout his message. It's, that's why I'm here. Back when we read those verses back in verse 2, he, he encourages the believers in Colossae, the, the town that he is writing this letter to. He encourages the believers to be watchful and pray. Let's read verse 2 again. Um, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And then verse 3, he says, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul is encouraging the readers of this letter to pray for him. And what's his prayer? His prayer is a sign of spiritual maturity. His prayer is that the message would go forth. And I, I, I like that, and I don't know if he was intentional about this or not, but I like that he used the metaphor of pray that the doors would open for the message of Jesus to go forth. If you and I are in prison, we're also praying that the doors would open but we're praying it so that we could walk on out, right? Our prayer in prison is usually, Lord, get me out of here. But a sign of spiritual maturity is what Paul is doing. 
Lord, whether I'm in prison or free, whether I am sick or well, whether I am on the mountaintop or in the valley, my number one priority is that the message of the gospel goes forth. So Paul is seeing that in prison. He's like, I'm here. I might as well make an impact for Jesus. Wherever you're at in your life, whether it's a good season or a bad season, so often we get stuck in our prayers, just become, Lord, do this and help me with this. And those are fine. We want to bring our requests to God. But first and foremost, we should have the mentality of whatever season or location or circumstance I am in, Jesus, help the message go forward. Help me proclaim the truth of your gospel with boldness. Help me to uh, proclaim it with clarity. This is what he is praying. I love that he prayed I would, that I would proclaim the message of Jesus Christ clearly as I should. When's the last time, and I'm speaking to me too, when's the last time our prayers were all about, Lord, help me proclaim the, the message of the gospel as clearly as I should, right? I mean, that's convicting for me, maybe for one or two others in the room here, but that should anchor our prayer times. God, I am here Whatever circumstance I walk through today, help me proclaim the love of Jesus Christ clearly. Your faith is meant to impact others. And if it's not, you have stopped growing in the discipleship process. So let's get moving again, okay? Verse 5 and 6, Paul continues on. Verse 5 says this. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders or non-believers or non-Christians. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What Paul is reminding his readers there and therefore reminding us is your conversations with people throughout the week are there for a purpose. It's not just talking about the weather and the weather's great. And it's not just making small talk. You are there. It is there for a purpose. And Paul is encouraging his readers, make the most of those opportunities. Let your conversations, and I love how he wrote this. When we think about our interactions with people, we should be mindful of there is eternity at stake. There is souls that are lost. This is the message of life coming into someone who could be walking through the darkest circumstances. And we recognize this and we make the most of those opportunities. And I love that he referred to it as your conversations, again, with the outside world, with non-Christians, your conversations should always be full of grace and seasoned with salt. That is a great combination. Full of grace, seasoned with salt. In this day and age, salt was vital. Salt was how you preserved things. Salt was how you disinfected things. Salt was a, a preservative. It, imp it, it, it affected its environment. And which is why we are called to be the salt of the earth, right? Salt preserves. It affects. Salt pushes back against impurities. But what Paul says is our conversations with the world. So think about coworkers or students or family members or people that you know that are not believers. Your conversations with them should be full of grace, seasoned with salt. The salt part of that is we have the truth of God's word. We have the love of Jesus Christ. We have the message of the gospel that will impact our world, that will add a salt-like effect to our culture. So our conversations should be recognized as we are offering a word of truth into this circumstance. We are saying, no, I want to offer the perspective of what God says, what the word of God says of what Jesus has done. But he says it this way, full of grace, seasoned with salt. So our conversations should always have the truth of God's word in them, but it's full of grace. He didn't say full of salt and seasoned with grace. 
right? If you can be nice to people, that's fine, but make sure you hit them with the salt, right? That's not what Paul is saying. And some Christians do that, right? It is like salt. Here, like, like big handful of salt right in their face, and ah, my eyes are burning because the Christians are talking to me, and I feel terrible, right? When you think of it that way, no, it's full of grace, full of grace. We are all, and I love that he said, because we are all, we all, what he started out the chapter with, we all have a master in heaven. We've all been forgiven. We've all messed up. We are recipients of grace. Our conversation should be full of grace, but seasoned with salt because it is the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. That's how we deal with outsiders or non-Christians. That's why we're here. It's what this message is for, for you to grow in your faith, to grow roots, to put on new life and impact your world. James 1.27 says this, religion that our God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That sums it up. This is written by James, the brother of Jesus. He says, if you want to know why you're here as a Christian, it's to care for those who need, care for the poor, care for the, the outsiders in our culture, to care for those who need help, and to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. If your interaction with the world causes you to compromise and causes sin to come take root in your life, well, then you're not at a spot there. You need to grow in your maturity. You need to grow in your faith. However, if you find yourself being um, adversely impacted by the world and every time you're around non-Christians, you just gravitate towards the way they are living and you just grab, you, you forget all the Christian things that you are a part of. If that's you, the solution is for you not to just say, okay, well, I'm never going into the world again, right? I'm just going to stay here in my bubble, in my Christian bubble with my Christian music and only watch things with my Pure Flix subscription on my Amazon Fire Stick or whatever it is. The solution is not just that. The solution is for you to grow in your faith, to establish roots so that you can be salt in the world, right? So that you can go into the world and make an impact in the world. That is why we want you to grow in your faith. We want you to keep yourself from being polluted by the world, and this is clear in Scripture. But we want you to impact your world. Solution is to grow, grow your roots, to put off the old and put on the new and impact the world around you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Here's the here's the reality is that many Christians are not making a difference in the world. Many Christians are not making a difference. Their faith is something they do on Sunday mornings and then they just go through their week and their faith is not impacting their world. And maybe your school or your workplace or your family, you're the only salt bringer. You're the only Christian voice. And maybe God is saying, I put you there for a reason. Make an impact. But a lot of Christians are not making a difference. A lot of Christians are certainly adversarial towards culture and complaining about the state of our world and the darkness in the world and the people who are messing it up. And maybe on Facebook they're like lobbing salt bombs from a distance like you know you should be different many christians do that but we need everyone making a difference in the world impacting the world around them right this is not a grand thing i'm not saying after church today we're all going to pick a street corner and a megaphone and start yelling at people and and throwing salt at them right and it's not saying we got to move to be missionaries in another part of the world maybe it is but that's not what i'm saying or or become a big TV preacher or pastor a church or all of these things. I'm not talking about anything big like that. What I'm talking about and how I think the gospel most effectively moves forward is just those daily interactions with you and your coworkers, with you and your neighbors, just daily 
daily interactions full of grace, seasoned with salt, meeting a need in the community, having a conversation where you make the most of that opportunity to talk about Jesus. And you might think, well, that's just such a small thing. That's like one conversation. And you're right. But if you'd multiply that by like a few billion people around the world, a few billion Christ followers who all say, I'm going to just, my role might be small in this, but I'm going to make the most of every opportunity. Right? And then we do that, all of us, we would see our communities change. We would see our city change. Our country would certainly change. If all the Christians were just making the most of every opportunity. My brother-in-law, Rick, he was here first service, and I showed up here on Tuesday night. We have our recovery meeting that meets here Tuesday night, and I showed up here late, earlier in the day to grab something out of the building, and he was just sitting out there um, at, the, at the picnic table. I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, well, I got a guy who called today and said, hey, I'd just love to talk to someone about about my marriage. I'm just having a difficult thing. So I'm going to meet him here for an hour. And, and then Rick met with this guy and just had a conversation for an hour. And I was just like, that, that's what I'm talking about. It's just like these little interactions, these people in our church who are just saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I can to be full of grace and seasoned with salt. And I'm going to talk. We are going to be way more effective as a church if it's not just the pastors on staff who are doing the stuff, obviously, because we mess up some stuff from time to time. Right? If we all are just taking this as our call in life to make a difference in the world. So I want to wrap up with this. Because this idea is illustrated so well in the verses that come next in Colossians chapter 4. Now, in your, if you have a subtitle in your Bible, Colossians chapter 4, after the verses we just read, then the subtitle then says, Final Greetings. Now remember, this is a letter. And so anytime I read one of the letters in the New Testament and I get to final greetings, I'm just like, boring, right? Have you been there? It's like, this is where he names like the names. And I, I like it because it kind of adds some historical validity and adds some human detail. Because remember, this is a, a letter that Paul wrote to these people in Colossae. And other letters, it's, it's practical. And you're like, how is this in the Bible? Because Paul's writing and, and then he'll say at the end of the letter, he's like, hey, and remind Mark to bring me my coat my heavy coat, you know, the one, because it's cold, and I'm going to need that cloak, and I really, really hope that you bring that. And then there's other times where it's just super practical, and you're like, how is this in the Bible? Like, it's like, and this is where we get to in these final greetings. This is what Paul is talking about at the end of Colossians, and maybe you just skipped over this, but there's something in here that is so important and so significant. So I'm going to read verse 7 through 9. Tychicus, that's a guy's name will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant of the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. So we're going to pause there, and you're thinking, yeah, this is boring stuff. It's just about Tychicus and Onesimus. Um, but there is something about the story of this guy, Onesimus, who is mentioned there. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. Okay, so the story of Onesimus is that he is a former slave. He was a slave of a man named Philemon who lived in Colossae. And so that's why Paul is saying he's one of you because he used to be there and he deserted Philemon. Now, Philemon is also the guy, if you know your New Testament, there's another letter later on, a very short book of the Bible named Philemon. And that's a letter that Paul wrote to this guy, Philemon. Now, he refers to Onesimus in that book as well. But Onesimus is a former slave of Philemon who lived in Colossae. 
who deserted and ran away was the worst kind of betrayal. If you were a deserter in that regard, you were open to extremely harsh treatment. Nobody owed you anything. You were the ultimate worst, like you were a deserter. And somehow Onesimus found Paul, and Paul led him to the Lord and discipled him and is now sending him back to Philemon. So I don't know how Onesimus found Paul. Maybe Onesimus ended up in prison. Maybe he sought Paul out. But however it worked, Paul led him to the Lord, discipled him, and is now sending him back to Philemon and encouraging Philemon to take him back, even though he had no right to do that. This is Paul putting into practice, take every opportunity, whoever you meet, there is room to disciple and to impact their life. Imagine Paul had the opportunity. He, if he heard Onesimus' story, like, you're a slave deserter. You deserve nothing. I want nothing to do with you. That's what everyone would have done. But instead, Paul takes that opportunity to lead him to the Lord and disciple him. And now he's sending him back to Philemon. Now, this is also referred to in the book of Philemon. Philemon's a short little book in the in the little later on in the New Testament. If you can find Philemon right now, we'll also we'll put you on staff because it's a hard one to find. But you read this in the book of Philemon. It's just one chapter, and I'm going to read verse 10 through 9. It's interesting that really this whole, this whole letter that's included in Scripture is really about this guy, Onesimus. And so it says this in verse 10 of Philemon. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. In other words, I led him to the Lord. He became my son in the faith while I was in prison. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while, which is a nice way of saying perhaps the reason he abandoned you and betrayed you, was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. You see how Paul is changing the story of this guy's life? And then it continues on, verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. He's like adding validity to this. He's, it's like him saying, I mean it, and I will pay it back. And then I love this. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. <laughs> so I love, I love that he wraps that up. Whether Paul is referring to the fact that Philemon is a Christian because of Paul's ministry, or whether it's much more practical and Paul is saying, yeah, don't forget you still owe me 20 bucks too, right? Like maybe it's something very practical like that. But whatever it is, Paul is reminding Philemon, yeah, we've all needed mercy. We've all been there. We've all messed up and we've received the mercy of Jesus Christ. And so treat Onesimus kindly as he returns to you. Paul acknowledges he messed up his life. He made some bad choices, but Jesus has changed his life. And I love that Paul just, that, that little story of Onesimus is included, not just in Philemon, but in the end of Colossians as he's referring to this guy. We see that this is what Paul is teaching the readers of this letter and also teaching us today that 
boy, we just got to make the most of our opportunities to, to make a difference in our world. And the people that you come in contact with are not just random encounters. Perhaps it is the start of a story where you're going to take somebody who is at the lowest of the low and lead them to the Lord and walk alongside them and disciple them. And the, 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 the end of the journey is now they get to return home, a new creation. Maybe it's someone who's thrown away their family because of an addiction or because of poor choices they have made and their family has completely fallen apart. And instead of, like a lot of people would have treated Onesimus, instead of saying, well, you've done it to yourself, we say, let me make the most of this opportunity and walk alongside of you, disciple you, lead you to the Lord, and see God do a miracle that now his whole life is restored and he's returning home not just as a slave, but as a fellow brother in the Lord. What a great story. Those who are hurting, those who have messed up, we need to be grace seasoned with salt. This is the power of the gospel to change lives. Amen? This is what we get to be a part of. And we need everyone to participate. We need you to participate. It's the way the gospel is going forward. You have been given this message of new life, and you need to steward it well. In other words, you need to take the most of every opportunity to share it with other people. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Jesus, we commit ourselves and we want to be reminded this week with every interaction we have, this is not just by chance, but this is a chance for the gospel to move forward and for a life to be changed. Help us remember eternity is at stake. Help us remember that you have the power to perform miracles and turn people's lives around. And you use us to be a part of that and we are so grateful and honored and we want to be good stewards of the message that you've given us so that we can see the world change for the glory of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody say,